Good morning, everyone. So, uh, some of you know my story. I got radically saved in my junior year in high school. And I'll never forget, I didn't grow up in a Christian household and realized that if the Bible's true, if everything that I'm reading about Jesus Christ is real, then my life is going to take a completely different direction. Uh, so, radically saved, junior year of high school, uh, in my soft, the summer of my sophomore year, I didn't really have a church because I didn't have a church in my life, and so it was just me studying the Word of God with other guys I got saved in my high school. So, in the summer of my senior year, we planted a church in, in Mililani and on the island of Oahu, Hope Chapel Mililani, and it's still going 30 years later. As a result of that church plant, we didn't have any staff or anything, so I became the volunteer youth pastor along with my drummer, Ace. So we became the volunteer youth pastors there, and no, learning about Christianity and the Christian worldview, I thought, well, maybe God wants me to go into missions. And so did some short-term missions into the country of Australia, and then did some Bible smuggling into China, which then led to missions in Japan, and realized that missionary work was probably not going to be for me. Came back, did some college ministry, a young adult ministry, and as time went on, ministry continued to grow and change. Uh, had a chance to uh, be an administrator and an evangelist at a, a parachurch ministry, got to preach the gospel numerous times at USC, Occidental College, uh, other, other kind of prisons and juvenile homes around the area. Um, with my band, spent a lot of time in the nightclubs in Hollywood, Los Angeles, and Orange County preaching the gospel, and even led a, a, a Bible study in a juvenile hall for about a year and a half. Uh, and this was all before I became a professional Christian, right, became a pastor. I, I like everyone else, had a full-time job. I was a waiter at one point. I was a bag boy at a military commissary at another point. Uh, let's see, what else did I do? Uh, when I came out to the mainland, I drove a forklift. Uh, I worked for L.A. County Family Services for a couple of years. And then finally got a, an adult job, became a producer for an entertainment company. Now, uh, why am I sharing all this with you? And well, that, the reason I'm sharing it is this morning we're going to be talking about the ministries that God gives us to do, and I don't want us to be kind of hamstrung by how God might be able to use us. Ministries that we're involved in can and do change over time. Some radically, maybe some not at all. Some ministries you may still be doing years after the fact, and some you're no longer doing them. So as a way of a thought of experiment, and I rarely do this here, and, but, but I'm going to do it today. We're just going to do this for less than a minute. I want you, now this applies to all of you unless you're visiting and this is your first time because I don't want to freak you out. But what we're going to do for like 45 seconds, you're going to talk to the person next to you and just tell them what kind of ministries you're involved in here at Christ Community Church. How is the Lord using you to build the kingdom here at Christ Community Church? So I'm going to set a quick timer so that we're just like really doing this fast, but just like 45 seconds, talk to your neighbor and tell them what the Lord's been doing in your ministry here. Okay, I'm just going to give you 10 more seconds. All right, five seconds. And you're done. All right, can I get your attention back here? Wow, I got to share with you guys, as a pastor, 
My nightmare, kind of like when you're in high school, you have a nightmare that you'll wake up naked in school. My nightmare was I'm going to do that, and it's just going to be crickets. But you guys all engage and jump right in there. How amazing. Now, I bet you if we were to write all those on the screen, we would see hundreds of stories of how God is using his people to advance his kingdom. And it would be amazing. Now, one of the downsides to being, and I joked about calling a professional Christian, but being a pastor, is that people tend to think, unless they know what the scripture teaches, they tend to think you're the guy that does ministry. I mean, after all, it is in one of the titles, right? Minister. But as we clearly just heard, I am just one of hundreds of ministers of the gospel in this church, right? That, that's a reality. And, and friends, the, re, the reality is even the professionals get this wrong. And I see it most clearly when I go to things like pastor's conferences, and I get asked bizarre questions, and they usually run along this line. It, goes, it starts like this. When pastors get together, this is the stuff they don't want you knowing we talk about. This is how it goes, though. Hey, Pastor Rick, hey, how many people you got at your church? And my response to that is, enough, you know? And, and then they kind of go, no, 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 no. Well, well, how many ministries you run in at Christ Community Church? Well, I, I say, well, 354. And their eyes get all big and go, what? You must have thousands of people at your church to be running 354 ministries. And I say, well, well no, I think you got this wrong. You see, at Christ Community Church, I know that there are 354 Christians who have committed to membership at our church, and part of that commitment, part of that promise, is that they're promising to do gospel work in and through and a part of that local body of believers. So there's at least 354 ministries happening every week through them, and much more if you count all the other people who are going to my church as well. You see, what those people are thinking, they're thinking programs, institutions, not people living Christ-centered lives that are fueled by the gospel. They're thinking numbers that they can track an attendance sheet to gauge success, not necessarily spirit-empowered believers who are giving evidence of repentance and faith. And this is something that we have all over the place. But the Bible is very clear that every Christian is a minister doing ministry. Now, we're going to be looking at a lot of passages of Scripture today. I'll call them out, but I'm also going to put them on the screen so you can keep up with me. But feel free to write these down as well. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this. And he gave, he speaking of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So here's the question. Who are the ones doing the ministry in this passage? Yes, the saints. You are, right? That, that's you. Saints in the Bible is not a word for super Christian, right? Saints in the Bible is the way that all Christians are being referred to. The ones who are doing the ministry are all of us regular Christians. But we know if you read your New Testament, you're, there's no such thing as a regular Christian. We are all ministers. We are all servants, now look a few verses down to verse 16 of the same Ephesians chapter 4. From whom the whole body, speaking of the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part of the body working together that makes the body grow. Now, 
years ago, I had an opportunity to speak at a pastor's conference. They didn't ask me those questions because this was a pastor's conference in Nairobi, Kenya. And I was teaching through the entire book of Nehemiah, and I remember coming across Nehemiah chapter 3, and I want to share that with you this morning because it's an amazing chapter that ties very closely into, it gives a visual picture of what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 4. You see, in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, Nehemiah basically convinces the citizens of Jerusalem that they need to get together and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem after it had been torn down by, under the siege of Nebuchadnezzar. And so let me put a few of the verses up on the screen for you. This is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers of the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zakur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hashaniah built the first fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And on and on and on, Nehemiah 3 goes for about 32 verses. For 32 verses, Nehemiah 3 just lists a little over 50 individuals and groups. It is a detailed list of all these people coming together, recognizing if they're going to thrive, they need to build the wall around Jerusalem together. It's a great picture because it's the same with the body of Christ. It's the same with the church. Everyone taking responsibility for building it up. Every Christian is a minister. If you were here just two weeks ago, Adventure Week was a great example of this, wasn't it? Some served meals, others played an instrument, others worked in, with technical equipment, others designed and set up rooms, others worked with the kids, others taught scripture, others cleaned, others tore down and organized, but all of us together were working towards one common goal, to bring the gospel message to our kids and the kids of this community in a fun, activity-packed week, providing opportunities for them to learn and connect with families to each other and to this church. And so it is with the larger church. Every single one of us with differing roles, all working toward a single mission of making Christ known and building up his church. Now the reason I can say with confidence that every member is a minister is because the Bible teaches this concept called the priesthood of all believers. Every member is a minister because the Bible teaches clearly that every Christian is a priest. During the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, men like Martin Luther and others rediscovered this core teaching of Christianity. You see, they realized that in their day, in Europe in the 1500s, the only individuals that seemed to be doing ministry were the priests. And according to his Luther's writings, the priests weren't doing a very good job of it either. You see, the priests had viewed themselves as the interpreters of God's will and the means by which people had access to God himself, kind of like the Old Testament priests in the, in the Old Testament. But Luther's and the Reformers, they knew differently, and they showed, more importantly, convincingly, that Scripture didn't teach that. Rather, Scripture taught that all Christians were priests. In fact, Luther said the word priest should be as common as the word Christians, since Christians are all priests. Now, like I always say at this church, don't take my word for it. Don't even take Luther's word for it. 
Let's go to Scripture and see if Scripture actually teaches this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what Peter writes to the Christians in the Diaspora. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we have Peter writing to all Christians in general and using deliberate language from the Old Testament that was used, by the way, of the nation of Israel to be priests, but now applying it to all Christians, that they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So that's very clear. Here's a couple more passages of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, then we'll look at verse 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice the language that the author of Hebrews is writing here. Entering the holy place, drawing near language, the language of sprinkling water, uh, the, the language of bodies being washed. All of this is reminiscent to the, the sacrificial rituals that the priests would perform, and the author is applying this to all of us. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. What does Paul say? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Paul is saying, like priests in the Old Testament, our service to God is like their offerings that they gave in the Old Testament. To make the point even crystal clear, and we'll just show this the last one here, Paul is using this, um, his ministry as a specific example and uses priestly language to describe it. Here is in Romans chapter 15, verse 15. But on some points, Paul says, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Again, Paul's using language reminiscent of the Old Testament priesthood and applying it, in this case, to his ministry. And he's saying, I'm doing this in priestly service. Now, if you know anything about Paul, Paul was not of the priest class of Levi. Paul was actually a Benjamite. And if you understand kind of the way that the nation of Israel set up, set up, the Benjamites were not the priests. The Levites were. But Paul doesn't see it that way. He sees now in this new covenant that all of God's people function as these priests. So, friends, these verses together point us to the truth that all of us are priests unto God. Not just the Old Testament priests. Not just the New Testament elders or pastors, but every single one of us. Every member is a minister because every Christian is a priest. The clergy are not more important than the laity. Everyone has ministry roles in the church. And every part of us relies on one another to do their part to build up the body of Christ. This is pretty clear, right? See that right in Scripture. So the million-dollar question you have to answer this morning, and I want this kind of rattling around in the back of your head as we continue on, is this. Do you see yourself as that? Do you understand yourself to be a minister of the gospel, to be a priest 
that simultaneously represents God to humanity and represents humanity before God? Or do you think that's just what the pastors and elders do? You show up, you listen, you participate, you cut a check, and the job gets done. Because as we can see in Scripture, that's not the way Scripture describes us. Is ministry something that you just kind of step into, and now I'm, I'm doing ministry. I'm doing my ministry, and then when I'm done, I just step out. You see my, my Sesame Street socks here. Sorry about that. Right? <laughs> ministry, is it an outflow of the way you live? Because you are a priest. It, it just flows out of you. Or is it something that you kind of step into? I've done my time, and I step out of ministry. See, the Bible's making it very clear that ministry is the outflow of our lives. Now, probably the, the metaphor that Paul uses more than anything to describe this, to communicate this idea, is the metaphor uh, of the church as a body, with Christ as the head of this body. Every member of the body needs every other member working together to build the body up. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So in other words, even though we are all part of the same community and we all share in the overall mission, God has given different ministries to different believers. The way Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 12 is, the members do not all have the same function. So we have this idea of unity and diversity. We all have the same mission to glorify God, to, to spread the gospel, to make much of Christ. But we all have differing functions to make that happen. Paul says this all throughout the New Testament. So we see it here in Romans chapter 12. But we also see it maybe most significantly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let me read a few verses from 1 Corinthians. Here's chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And skip down to verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body. I love that, that phrase there. God is kind of putting pieces on the chessboard. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And it's running with that metaphor, if any of you have ever played chess, right? That's just, some are, are castles, and some are rooks, and some are bishops, and some are pawns. And if you were all castles, you couldn't win the game. But in order to play the game of chess, you need every single part. Very important, but very different. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And we've already seen the body metaphor. We looked at it in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's revisit it again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
So it's very clear that the New Testament is saying that every one of us needs to be doing our part to build up the body of Christ. And then by build up, I mean that in a couple of ways, and so does the New Testament. Build up the body of Christ by making it healthy. That we maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by deferring to one another, by, by treating one another with compassion and care and humility, making sure that the body is healthy, challenging sinful tendencies, encouraging people who are discouraged that we're doing our part. But not just making sure that the body is healthy, but actually that the body is actually growing. By preaching the gospel, witnessing to your coworkers, your family and friends, bringing them in, making them disciples of Christ, that the body is built larger and healthier. That's the job of the church. And we see that all. We saw that in Romans. We saw it in Ephesians. We saw that in 1 Corinthians. Now, given that we just did a series on church leaders, the question naturally should be asked then, if, if all of us are doing this, well, what about church leaders? What about the pastors and elders? And we saw that the responsibility of the leaders of the church is not to do all the ministry themselves. First of all, they just couldn't do that. No church could hire enough staff to meet the needs of any given church. But they are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. This is one of the most important things church leaders can do. This is why even in our services, the bulk of our service is oriented around the preaching of the word of God. Because when God's word goes out, the people of God are created. Let's look again at Ephesians 4, 11, 12. And he, again, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And then notice this prepositional phrase that shows why did he do these things? Why did he give them? To equip the saints. And notice this, this, this next phrase it's the explanation for the prepositional phrase, to equip the saints. Why? For the work of the ministry. And then the next uh, subordinating conjunction phrase defines the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ. You see how, the, how you read. The, the problem with English is we know English so well we just read past it. But we don't realize that when you read the text, the author's telling you everything he's trying to tell you. Here's what God did. Here's why God gave you these people. Here's what you're supposed to do. And here's what it looks like. The job of the leaders of the church is to equip the saints. Why? So the saints can do the work of the ministry. Well, what's the work of the ministry? Building up the body of Christ. Make it healthy, make it strong, make it grow. That's the way this thing kind of functions. So suppose you were go to go through the New Testament. right? Say, let's just say the New Testament church just began. It's the book of Acts chapter 2. And you went through the entirety of the New Testament and just wrote down, all the ministries that the people of God were involved in, from Acts all the way through to, you know, Jude, you can include Revelation. And what you would have is that you would have 13 broad categories of ministries. You might make an argument about 14 and 15, depending on how you split it up. But, but generally speaking, if you went down and said, oh, what did Aquila and Priscilla do? And Onemisaurus, how did he serve? And, and Philip, what did he do? And all these guys and girls... You would be able to say, okay, of all this activity we see in the New Testament, it generally falls into 13 categories. And as we look at them, as we will in a little bit, what I want you to be asking yourself is this. What of those spiritual ministries has God given for you to do? Now, many, many of the ministries I'm going to mention, they're just for all of us to do, right? Evangelism, prayer, that's stuff that every Christian should be doing. 
The point of walking through these categories that we find in the New Testament is to help you identify areas of ministry that maybe the Lord would want you to emphasize regularly in your life. Now, on the screens behind me, I put up a, a screenshot of a page from our website. You can see the URL below that. And I circled this. Uh, every February, we do like a service Sunday, and we created a booklet called Here to Serve. And it lists, I forget how many, I think there's like 70 opportunities in there. Uh, so you can, you can go on the website, or there's a QR code in your bulletin. I think you can just scan it. Or you can get a hard copy at the Welcome Center. The point is, in that book, I think there's about 70 opportunities that all 13 of these categories flesh themselves out, at least here at Christ Community Church, right? Now, there are many other ways it can be fleshed out. I'm just saying, at this church, here's how those 13 categories tend to play themselves out. And if there's a place for you to serve in that and plug in, go for it. So what we're going to do in the remainder of our time is to briefly look through these 13 ministry categories, and I'm going to arrange them alphabetically, okay? So there are some words, like I use the word connecting, because when you read the New Testament, that just seemed to be the best way to sense how like Epaphras was working in Colossae and, and some other disciples, so I just put it under the word connecting, so you won't go in your concordance and find like a ministry of connecting, but it'll make more sense as we go on today and tomorrow. So the first one, so there's the list all 13 of them. Some of them you probably recognize because I use the word from the text, and some of them like connecting. You don't see that in, in most translations. So let's look at them one at a time. Number one, administration. This is a believers placed by God in an administrative ministries, and they support other ministries, right? Managing groups, events, supplies, schedules, finances. Now, they can be formal and really informal as well. So for example, as a formal illustration of that, at our church, we have actual committees, like a facility committee or a stewardship committee. That's really formal, but there's also ways that this ministry plays out that's just kind of very casual. Like every week, I think we have, I, I, I'm not sure if I know who's doing it this, but we have one or two people that their ministry is just making sure our kitchen is stocked, right? Making sure that when we want coffee, there's coffee there. Making sure when we need dishes, there's dishes there. So it can be very formal. It can be very uh, uh, casual. So the question is, is administration a ministry that God could use you in? Now, here's a little tip. If you tend to be kind of an organized person and patient, yeah, administration might be a ministry for you. But it doesn't have to work that way. You may be disorganized, but you just want to help things run. Administration is a ministry that you could get involved in as well. Secondly, compassion. Believers placed by God in compassion ministries care for others who are suffering and vulnerable. And again, this can look very formal. It can look very informal. Uh, informally, you guys remember Tristan. He had just a, I mean, he had a, a, a heart that just led with uh, compassion for those who were down and out. And it was so amazing because you guys know him. Like, like, Tristan looked like a thug, right? And I'm not saying that behind his back because I would tell Tristan you look like a thug. But he had the heart of, of, of a shepherd and such a gentle heart, part of the work that Christ did in him. And as a result of that, he constantly went out caring for people on the streets. Now, that's an example of someone with a compassion ministry in an informal way. But it also can be very formal, like we have our deacons here who, who oversee our benevolence or our bereavement ministry, or we have people who visit those who are sick or those who are stuck at home. My point is, is compassion a ministry that God would have for you to do? Right? That is a very powerful ministry. Thirdly, uh, there's this uh, connecting. Believers placed by God in connecting ministry bring other believers together. 
And the way that looks here is some people help us organize these all-church events. They like getting people together. They understand great things happen when the people of God mix it up. And they can recognize opportunities and needs and put those together. And it's amazing the kinds of ministry that can happen from that. So the question is, is connecting a ministry that God could use for you? Are you the kind of person that likes to bring people together? Maybe that's a connecting ministry for you. Evangelism and apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics are, that, that's not you walking around saying you're sorry for being a Christian. Okay, that's, Apologetics is, is basically a defense of the gospel, an apologia, a rational defense of something. So evangelism and apologetics ministries, or God places believers in unique ministries to basically spread, uh, defend, or explain God's work in the world. And apologetics and evangelism's ministry has been a part of the church since literally the church began in Acts chapter 2. What did Peter have to do? The first thing he had to say, he had to explain to everyone what was taking place. That was an apologetic. This is, well, no, we're not drunk. What you're seeing here is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. That's an apologetic, right? That, that's an evangelistic kind of ministry. Is a, apologetics and evangelism a ministry that God would have for you here? Next, giving. Believers placed by God in giving ministries find ways to generously give money and help others do the same. And again, it can be formal, it can be informal. We see this in the book of, uh, in the book of Philippians, we see this in the Philippian churches, we see this in the Corinthian churches. In the Philippian churches, they kept giving to Paul's ministry and Paul said, you guys are fueling my ongoing work. In the Corinthian churches, they gave money to help the needs of the Jerusalem church. So they had different reasons and purposes. And, and by the way, it's great when people have a ministry of giving when they have the means to do that, but that's not necessarily always the case. You can have a very giving spirit, but often not the means, but you can encourage people in that as well. It's wonderful when the two coincide, people with a giving ministry and the means to do it. I'll never forget when we, we went to the church a couple years ago and said, hey, We've got to build out the new offices. We think that's the next strategic step, and we're going to trust God to do it, and we're not going to take a dime in loan, so help, hopefully we can get this thing done. In a couple of months, a gentleman showed up and said, look, I believe in what God is doing. Let me underwrite half of the $600,000. Here you go. Wow. Right? He had a giving ministry. I have a friend who wrote a book called Gospel Patrons, and he looks at the history of all the men and women God used to fuel gospel works, names we don't recognize. We only recognize the, the kind of front names like Billy Graham, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, but not the men and women behind them that fueled the gospel work. Is giving a ministry that God would have for you. Helping. Believers placed by God in helping ministries come alongside and support other ministries. And People in helping ministries just make everything run well. They are making the difference in the church, and they're not usually the ones looking for the spotlight. As a matter of fact, this morning, many of you have been blessed by people help in the helping ministry. Guys right now, standing or sitting back there in the AV booth, the musicians on the platform using their gifts and abilities to help us. Everything runs smoother when those ministries, those people in those ministries are just helping out. One practical example like, of, of how multifaceted this ministry is, every week there are a couple of ladies who show up at our church 
And this doesn't, this doesn't count for you first hour people, but the second hour people, man, they're slobs. As soon as service is over, they're like, donut table, there's bulletins on the ground, pens everywhere, and it's just a mess. And we have some saints who show up every week, and you know what they do? They clean everything up, make it all ready so that it looks fantastic on Sunday mornings. All right? Is helping a ministry that God has called for you. There's another one, hospitality. Believers placed by God in hospitality ministries open their homes, their hearts, and hands to help others feel welcomed and loved. I cannot tell you how much good gospel work gets done around your dinner tables. How many times I hear stories of people getting connected simply because somebody in this church said, hey, you want to go get some lunch? Come over to my place, have a meal. And it can be as simple as a meal all the way over to you opening your homes and letting people live with you. Never forget, Lori and I, when, when we were younger, our kids were younger, we had a small 1,400 square foot house, and there were five of us in it, and a family in our church needed a place to live, or they were going to be literally on the street, so we said, hey, come live with us. And so there were eight of us living in this 1,400 square foot house for about six months. It was great. I mean, it was crazy, but it was great. Now, I'm not saying that's what hospitality has to always look like, but it's a spectrum. It's just making people feel like, I see you, you matter, and you're not alone. And if, if you want to get better at that, which, by the way, this church is, is really known for that, there's this great book in the book spot. It's a green book by Rosier Butter, Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, right? Go get that book. By the way, those are donations. If you don't have the money and no one around you has a giving ministry to help you get it, just take the book, right? Just take the book and use it. Hospitality. By the way, do you see how some of these ministries overlap? Like a connecting ministry and a hospitality ministry, they're different, but they do have some overlap there. Yeah. Leadership. Believers placed by God in leadership ministries to guard and guide the church. Obviously, this is include especially the, the elders of the church, but as we talked about, the elders cannot do all the ministry, right? Now, there are some, only some that are appointed to leadership ministries based upon the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, but... Are there other leadership ministries that God could use you in? If you are new to the faith or if you are a younger Christian, is there future leadership positions God would use you in? Future leadership ministries. Miracles. Believers placed by God in miraculous ministries demonstrating the power and presence of God. And I find that this oftentimes overlaps with people who have an evangelistic, apologetic, or missions ministry. And if you talk to anybody who's confronting or taking the gospel to the edges, you'll hear some amazing stories of this. I have many of my own. We heard Bob talk about his own experiences. God works powerfully to show his presence and power in the world. Missions. Believers placed by God in these missions ministries, extending God's work into faraway places, often in cross-cultural settings. Now, to be clear, this is something that every single one of us is called to do, right? This is, this is why God left us behind, was to make his name great in the nations, whether that nation is across the street or across the globe. We all have a role in this. The point of missions as a ministry, though, is some of us may have that as a ministry that takes more of our time, just as leadership may take more of our time in the body of Christ. But we all have a role to play. Now, the question I have to ask is, is a missions ministry something that God would have for you? On however, wherever on that spectrum it might be, is that a question you're even asking? Prayer. Believers placed by God in prayer ministries go beyond others in praying for other people and inviting other people in the presence of God. I think of Anna in uh, Luke chapter 2. 
who all she did was stay in the temple and pray night and day. And when I first got saved, uh, me and Frankie and Byron and Ace, we used to go street witnessing and just going anywhere to tell people about Christ. And we had some friends who were terrified to go out on the street, but they loved to pray. And so we had a partnership. Whenever we would go out to, 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 to share the gospel, wherever it was going, red light district, downtown nightclubs, we would call them and say, this is what we're doing tonight. Pray for us. And they would pray fervently, and we would go out and do our thing. We have prayer ministries here, Sunday mornings before the service starts. And just so you think, prayer ministry is not just for the older saints. Prayer ministry is for everybody. When I was a, a high school pastor, one of my favorite events was the prayer party. From 7 to midnight, we would just pray in somebody's house. We'd designate one room and have the room scattered with prayer requests, other churches in our neighborhood, and ways we could see God work in our community. And our kids would take shifts every hour, go pray for an hour. And the other room, we'd play games and hang out, sing, and have fellowship. Prayer is a phenomenal ministry. Is prayer a ministry God would have you to do? Almost done here. Shepherding and counseling. Believers placed by God in shepherding and counseling ministries serve one-on-one -on -one or in small groups to spiritually and practically help others. I like to think of this as, as kind of a little combination of shepherding and counseling with teaching. Priscilla and Aquila helping Apollos kind of straighten out his theology as his ministry was exploding. But our community group leaders are shepherds in this way. Our, our initiatives in biblical counseling is to help shepherd this way. And there are many other ways to do it. Is shepherding and counseling a ministry God would have for you? And then finally, teaching. This is my primary ministry at this church. Believers placed by God in teaching ministries are there to encourage others in what the Word of God says and to challenge them to live it out. But it's not just the pulpit ministry we have that in. We have this in our adult Sunday school classes. We have this in our Bible studies. We have it in our Lord's Supper devotionals. Is a teaching ministry, is teaching ministry something that God would use you in? As you can see, this is the whole spectrum and this morning, I was just really trying to lay a foundation because next week, I'm going to speak more specifically about what spiritual gifts really are. In other words, I think um, Christ Christians tend to be pretty confused on this topic, and certainly the last couple of generations were so confused on it, we actually don't have any other paradigm to think of it other through this particular paradigm that I'll talk about next week. And we've gotten off track and made it about something that it actually isn't. And I say this as someone who graduated from a Pentecostal college. I say this as a charismatic. I say this as someone who believes in all the crazy stuff that you think I'm warning you against all the time. I believe in all that, but I think we've gotten it wrong. Now, for you guys, you're probably okay. I was talking to the elders about that. You guys are probably okay with that. If this was a Pentecostal church, you might fire me. My point simply is, I've been talking about spiritual gifts this entire hour, and I never even used the word once. Next week, I want to build on this foundation and talk about spiritual gifts in the way that I think Paul actually intended for us to understand them in a way that's going to be way more encouraging for our Christian lives. So I hope you're back here next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word. Lord, thank you that you've called all of us to get this done. No one or select group of us can accomplish the purposes for which you've given to the church, which is why, as Paul says, in your manifold wisdom, in your multifaceted wisdom, you have given to all the saints ministries to pursue so that the body of Christ can be built up. 
and the name of Christ can be made great. Lord, I pray that you give every one of us a heart, a burden to serve you and your people whom you love. Not just those who currently are in the church, but those who don't even know right now. That at the end, as Paul says in the Philippians, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we do that and we're grateful for it in his name. Amen. Please stand for our... Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.